Hi and hello watch fans, today we are visiting Ulysse Nadan in the middle of Geneva with Jean-Christophe Sabatier who's just taken off his jacket because things are getting serious, right? How are you Jean-Christophe? Fine, great. Yeah? We had a, we had a very good week. I'm very happy uh, with this uh, Geneva watch days. Yeah, no wonder you're smiling because you're going home tomorrow, right? Yes, yeah, so also. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to do the most part of an episode. This is going to be the biggest episode that we have from Geneva Watch Days. We're going to ask quite a few questions and we're going to see where the conversation takes us. So we have a big sheet of questions in front of us. We probably won't get through them all, but we're going to give it our best shot. Okay, so first off, can you please give us a brief introduction about yourself and how you came to work for Ulysse Nadan? I'm working at Ulysse Nadan since uh, seven years now. And I'm in charge of products, uh, design-wise, marketing also, related to product and product development. And uh, I joined this company because I was uh, impressed and amazed with all this uh, know-hows that you can find inside this manufacturer. Mm -hmm. For a guy like me, you know, it's uh, like uh, you find a, you find a, the Alibaba cavern <laughs> with... Uh, uh, so many skills and so many possibilities uh, in terms of products. Uh, I've done all my career in the product development within uh, such a manufacturer. Uh, it's it's always uh, I mean I mean it's it's always a, a, a motivating uh, discovery. Uh, it's always a challenge. It's always a, it's always something that is an incredible teamwork, and this is what I like at Ulysse Nardin. I'm here since seven years, and I believe that I will stay several years more. I hope so. Yeah, we hope so too, because you always give such a good presentation of the brand, and obviously the products themselves, as you said off-air, are the brand's best ambassadors, and we certainly agree with that. Alon is a huge fan of the Freak, right? You love that watch. I, I love everything Ulysse Nardin, from the Schneider era, yes, the Urschelin era. Yes. So I'm very pleased to be here with you. I have utmost respect for you and admiration. Um, I love the old Ulysse. I think what you guys all together shepherding into modernity and doing an amazing job at it because the Freak was amazing. The Freak S, what you guys did, is superb. I, I am a big fan. Our listeners know of the the the, the, the Space Age group of Ulwerk, MBNF, Debatune and you guys, for me, in my humble opinion, joined that group with the new era. The Freak X is amazing. I always told everybody wants to hear that it's too low in price. And depends how, how, how sweet you are to me. So Rob, something's very strict with me. I love everything you do. I'm currently wearing something that blew my mind. I don't know if it's under embargo or not. It's, it's the... Blast freewheel. The blast freewheel. I, 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 I've handled many blast tourbillons. Mm -hmm. uh, also, amazing price points. Could we say you're the embodiment of modern Urschelin? Because you guys still continue that DNA, which is very ingrained in the last 30, 40 years, the direction really stuck. Well, uh, I mean, I take your question as a compliment. Of it course, is. it is. I am very proud, of course, try to perpetuate this tradition we have in terms of uh, innovation uh, and uh, twisting things with twisting autology, as uh, Dr. Ludwig has done, like, as uh, Rolf has done in the past. Yes, I will say that we are trying to perpetuate that a little bit differently, but keeping the roots, keeping the identity that they have, that, that they have, they have installed, let's say, inside the brand. At that time, their vision was to establish Ulysse Nardin as a manufacturer. And uh, Ulysse Nardin was developing constantly 
many uh, incredible mechanical uh, timepieces, complications, uh, uh, escapements, uh, uh, with a, in a very prolific manner. And it was not really a brand. It was a little bit like a crazy laboratory. And then it, it at the beginning, yes, very eclectic. And then it became a real manufacturer because we have internalized all the production. Rolf has reinvested all its benefits inside the edification of this manufacturer, including not only for movement, including for escapements. So it, it was really an industrial a visionary man. And uh, what I, I try to do uh, 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 modestly at my position, as I, I am more on the marketing side, even if I am leading the development, is that I try to, to preserve this uh, creative and technical energy, but also to, uh, let's say, uh, uh, behave a little bit more as a brand than in the past. Because in the past, we were really uh, only focusing on technical creativity. And what I, what I try is to merge uh, technical creations with also, let's say, uh, uh, a, mar a marketing rationale in order to uh, uh, bring stories around the product and explain a little bit why and uh, what is our vision and, uh, and how we do the things to the public. Thank you so much, Quick Intimates, for dear listeners that might not be that familiar with either Ulysse Nadeau's history. Very important in the history of watchmaking that Ulysse Nadeau was the first ever to launch, so produce and launch silicium in watches. Yes. A lot of people might not know, do know. You not only developed that in a classic watch, but also developed the freak. Correct. And then you didn't stop because I I I know you did diamond sil diamond sil yes correct diamond sil yes. and and you guys keep on pushing the boundaries so I just wanted to do a quick intermezzo before I give the mic back to Rob. Well, it's a very interesting point that you make actually, and it's exactly on the subject that I wanted to touch upon, and that is how do you manage as someone involved in product development to strike that balance between a brand that has such a heritage but is known more in the modern day for its incredible advancements in material technology. Nowadays, the collection has representatives in a heritage style and also in a very modern avant-garde style. But what are the challenges in, in communicating that Ulysse Nadan is more than just one thing? Well, um, yes, you, you're right. And here there is a challenge uh, for a marketing guy because our brand is, very, is, is so prolific that uh, we have different facets. Mm -hmm. From 1846, the date of the creation of Unisnarda, to the 70s, uh, so during more than one century, uh, we have been a leading company in the world of chronometry and particularly in the field of navigation instruments. Mm -hmm. So at that period of the time, we were a uh, very, uh, very... Um, uh, I and brand specialized in twisting autoalogy uh, for uh, measurement and navigation uh, measurement particularly, but not only. Then, after the quartz crisis period, Rolf bought uh, the company that uh, that has been uh, sleeping, let's say, during uh, several uh, years, and he has relaunched this company through a prolific partnership with Ludwig Uxchlin creating amazing complications, particularly astronomic timepieces, chiming timepieces, etc. And in 2001, the breakthrough mentioned by Alan, the fact that we have made, let's say, two revolutions in one timepiece, the freak 
which is a revolution in itself in terms of uh, product concept because it's really a futuristic way to interpret mechanically autorlogerie and also inside the freak, the silicone escapement. So there is on one side, let's say, a very strong past related to uh, chronometric instruments, uh, uh, instruments for explorers. And on the other side, a modern era with a disruptive horlogerie, very, uh, very, uh, let's say, high-tech and modern inventions. And my, my, uh, the complexity of my job, I believe, is to build on the past, but to keep the, uh, the, the company, the product lines, the aesthetics, always looking forward. You know, we are not a company, we are a historical brand looking forward. This is how I will define Ulysse Nardin. Well, that's about as good as it gets in a, in a single sentence, right? I mean, there you go. That's the brand in a nutshell. But for you personally, although you have to walk that very strategic line and communicate that quite complex story that has many facets, what is it that you're most passionate about when it comes to developing products? Do you like the maintenance of history or are you really driven by finding something new? I would say that what, what I think highly motivating in my job is that I am uh, working after generations of people who made this company. So I am, a, I am a small, let's say, part of a long chain of people preserving novels. And what I, what I think really, uh, I mean, uh, highly motivating in my job is that I need to maintain a certain level of, uh, uh, let's say, ability to, to create and to innovate and to, to, to amaze the public. And in the meantime, I need to, to build all this uh, uh, creation, to root this creation in respect to, to all what has been done with my predecessors. So I need to perpetuate a story that, uh, that has more than 175 years. And this is what I, I believe is just, I mean, great, in fact. And my uh, main source of motivation is here. It's in the museum. It's here. It's in... Uh, studying the brand I'm working for. Mm -hmm. And I am still discovering seven years later things, new things that I didn't know. And I am constantly learning on, on, my, on my brand. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm learning more from Ulysse Nardin heritage than from the market trends. Or I mean, and of course, I'm listening to this trance, but it's not my main source of uh, inspiration. And it's the same for my team. And this is uh, what is interesting. And in the meantime, what I like is we do not do, uh, you know, vintage variations of reproducing things that we've, or drawings that we found at the museum. Mm -hmm. We rein, so it's, it's, it's a challenge, you know, you need to reinvent yourself. You need to focus in the, into the modernity. But in the meantime, you need constantly to think, does it, does it pay tribute? Does it respect all what has been done by your predecessors. This is what I like. It's a shame that this is audio only sometimes, because if you could see the passion in Jean-Christophe's eyes, you would be uh, totally taken by the brand of Ulysse Nadan, I'm sure. And I mean, I want to buy one after listening to that even more than I already did. Alain, would you like to ask a question? Yes, please. And uh, indeed, if you could have seen, he could have been my brother because he talks with his hands like I do. <laughs> <laughs> so Jean-Christophe, um, our listeners know that Rob and I really care about sustainability and that also we think in the watch industry more should be done. So we try to shed a light on it by talking about it, focusing about it. I know that 
Uzna Dam does a lot from ocean conservancy to sharks to emptying out the oceans with fishing nets. Yes. Could you tell us more about the sustainability strategy within the company, please? Uh, it's also uh, an, an, a part-time. I more and more like to speak about mm -hmm. because I'm more and more enthusiastic about that. I am 53, 53 years old. When my, my CEO, Patrick Pruneau, arrived, it was uh, six years ago, he told me we need to pioneer this field of uh, sustainability in the watchmaking industry as Ulysse Nardin has pioneered many things related to calibers, escapements, etc. And honestly, I have to say that I was quite skeptical mm -hmm. due to my age probably because uh, my first opinion was, okay, we are a manufacturer. Mm -hmm. We produce mechanical calibers. So by definition, in a certain manner, we are sustainable. We produce for generations. Most of the suppliers we have, they are close to us in the valley. So, and, and I told him, you know, I mean, it's a high-end timepiece. It's so complex, you know. You have so many constraints, so many components, so many complexity. If you want to add this complexity in addition to all the rest, I mean, uh, you will never make it. And then I started the journey. I have to say that I discovered myself And I am now, now convinced that you can bring some improvement constantly, step by step. If you are patient and if you are open-minded, you can do things. So I started to try to understand what does it mean, sustainability. I started to, add que to ask questions I, I was not asking really before, you know, from where is coming your raw material? Who is the supplier of your supplier? How can we do the thing differently in order to recycle the component? Also, when I was not satisfied by the answer, I found the answer by speaking to startups, young people who were pushing the limits, the boundaries. And I started to partner with this startup. Step by step, we have been able to present a prototype, then some small limited editions. And now we are entering some products inside our collections that are carrying 95% still recycled case, 100% recycled fishing net uh, coming from the ocean for straps, upcycled carbon fiber. And I'm starting to um, realize that uh, when you uh, try to do the things, you know, little by little in a pragmatic way, you gain results. And even if it is difficult, most of the people, they value the effort. Mm -hmm. They do. Uh, and I, uh, I have to say that skepticism is coming from my generation, not from youth. Because, in fact, and even the youngest, when you are, you know, a little bit shy to explain, you know, uh, the improvements you have done, at least you have done something. Yeah. So, for me, it's a, yes, it's the discovery of a new challenge in product development That, that I feel are really uh, very interesting. Amazing what you're saying, and, and, and it's true because the, let's call them the millennials and Gen Z, appreciate the transparency and the efforts. Yes. It's a black and white. If my recollection is correct, you also joined the RJC, so the Responsible Jewelry Council, correct? Yes. Yeah. So that's also a very important step, which I don't think enough watch brands are doing. So those in the watch industry, I'm looking at you. Follow suit. In addition to the recycled and upcycled materials in the diver range specifically, which is one of my favorite 
ranges. What else does the company do uh, around the production that is benefiting the sustainability push? Well, we are a small company, mm-hmm. and uh, what we I think that what is important for us in, is when the people of the inside the company they let's say they take the accountancy of the project, you know, of the responsibility on small projects that are going in the right direction. So I would mention, for example, one uh, uh, example. Uh, We are now uh, plastic-free inside the company. Oh, great. So uh, we have removed plastic everywhere we could. And uh, this, I I believe, is something that is, uh, when you visit the manufacturer, if you have the opportunity to visit the manufacturer, we have made many, many small changes. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the end, I mean, this is participating to something. You know what I mean? And I see that uh, all the the small efforts that you do, uh, it's like you change your daily routine and uh, people get used to it and then they, they go to the next step and then your suppliers, your clients, you know, and there is something very important to me that I discovered is that uh, our clients have the possibility to buy expensive timepieces. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, these clients, they are businessmen. Mm-hmm. When you tell to them a story that is true related to the, the sustainable, let's say, component inside the product, mm-hmm. that the, 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 the technical aspect is... Uh, there is integrity in the technical aspect. In the meantime, the storytelling is cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, the product looks nice. Mm-hmm. You demonstrate that you can buy a luxury uh, object, so which is expensive, even if it is partly recycled. Mm-hmm. Then you participate in convincing those opinion leaders that they can apply this type of recipes in their own industries or businesses. So, in fact, it's like a long chain that is coming from the supplier to the end client, and uh, every, everybody is participating in that, including the employees or the supplier. And of course, we're in the industry of making watches, and watches themselves are one of the more sustainable objects yes. in the world because they aren't going to run out of battery or find themselves the victim of software updates in a year or 18 months. You know, these are timepieces that are felt well kept and looked after can run well as long as, as long as people care for them. Yes. And to be, uh, uh, again, totally, uh, I mean, transparent and honest, I have to say that, I mean, I discovered also by studying that many materials that we use are, were already partly recycled mm. for economic reasons. Yeah. And uh, the idea here is to push the limits, you know what I mean? When you use brass that is recycled at 50%, let's push it at 75%. Right. So in the past, uh, we were, let's say, using recycled material for economic reasons. Uh, now, more and more, it's, become, it's becoming also for sustainability reasons. And this is something that is, I mean, people value that because mm-hmm. they understand that um, I mean, it requires some effort and spending in R and D. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it's 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 also uh, I mean, it's I mean, what is important, in fact, it's the value is it's like you know the sentence. What is important is the is the journey. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a little bit like that, and they value that. It is true. It is true. But I, you have a communication 
responsibility to let people know when you are using 95% recycled steel as opposed to 60% recycled steel, which basically all steel is, right? As you say. But what's important is a brand that actually is making the efforts that you're making and making that investment in increasing the amount of recycled steel that you use is shining a light on the brands that are just greenwashing their campaigns. Some brands, and I won't mention any names on air right now, but they've picked up on the fact that the steel is recycled. And so they say, cases made with recycled steel. And uh, Alan, you've got a good friend in uh, Cedric Bellon, of course, who is very passionate about you know proper recycling in the industry and fighting against this greenwashing. And it's imperative that brands like you leave from the front and put pressure on the brands that are obfuscating the truth so that they also have to make that investment and also have to go along that journey because that is, as you say, what people invest in. Thank you for that, Rob. I want to prevent myself from making a mistake by making it seem to our listeners that you guys are freakish watches HYT slash Uvic slash MBNFish. You guys can do that and you do it amazingly. But for those that are maybe new to the watchmaking, collecting passion and don't know maybe it is that well, I wanted to ask you just to walk us through the collections because you can actually obtain and really start then around 7,000 euro, including VAT. I mean, in Switzerland, we always talk about Swiss francs X VAT. VAT is lower in Switzerland, so it's a bit confusing. But So you are, I don't want to use the word accessible, but you guys have a wide range of price range. Could you walk us through the collections? Yes. And please also mention Ludwig in there because that's one of my favorite releases. Okay. So maybe one word uh, about uh, Ulysse Nardin. We are an historical brand established in uh, 1846. We are an independent integrated manufacturer, meaning that we produce our calibers internally, including the escapements. We are creative, innovative. We have a limited number in terms of production. We produce a little bit less than 10,000 units per year. And uh, a quarter of these units is made of flying carousel, flying tourbillon. So it's quite technical. All the product offer is, uh, let's say, uh, uh, organized today within four collections. You have the Freak, which is, uh, I mean, our flagship. It's an iconic timepiece that is uh, absolutely revolutionary concept-wise. There is the Blast, which is the collection where we reinvent the traditional know-how through... Uh, uh, let's say, inside a very modern design. And inside the Blast collection, you will find, for example, some creation that has been that have been made by Ludwig, like the, uh, for example, our Striker, for example, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a Shining timepiece, or uh, the Moonstruck, which is an astronomic timepiece. Uh, of course, I should have mentioned that Ludwig has been at the origins of the Freak, he is, the ma- he is the master that was at the origin uh, of the freak. So Ludwig is really the man who uh, brought us to these two collections, freak and blast. And then we have the marine and the diver collections mm-hmm. that are, let's say, price-wise uh, um, a little bit more accessible. Uh, um, these products are related to our very first origin, which is the sea. The marine collection is carrying the heritage part of the brand. It's simply the transcription of a marine deck chronometer into a wristwatch. 
you can look at a picture of a decronometer and a marine, it is exactly the same design and functions. Mm -hmm. And the diver, it's, uh, let's say, the functional marine, uh, the sports instrument. So these are the four collections that we carry at Ulistan. So this might be controversial because I know that mostly people focus on the freak. We'll talk about the incredible chronometric history, but my favorite pieces are in the dive collection. I love them because they're so wearable and it's so common to see dive watches created in a paint by numbers fashion. Every dive watch from every major brand looks the same. But there's something tangibly different about Ulysse Nadan's divers, especially with the slightly concave bezel, which is a beautiful, beautiful addition. The colors are really rich and pop on the wrist. And also it is the playground for these recycled and upcycled materials that have that direct connection to the sea. So what can we expect to see from the dive collection now or in the near future? The way we see the diver collection is that it is a manufacturer a diving wedge. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, there is few of them. Uh, and so we, we will, we will continue to build inside the diver collection in two directions. The first one is to bring, to maintain or to keep or to bring uh, new things inside this notion of, uh, uh, manufacturer, manufacturer caliber for a sports watch. Mm -hmm. For example, we have a model inside the diver collection, which is called Skeleton X. It is uh, open worked. Manufacture caliber, I hunt, and it is plugged uh, inside a sports watch. Mm -hmm. Then there is another, uh, let's say, line in our, uh, in an, another direction in our strategy, and you mentioned it is to uh, improve constantly with uh, 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 the proposal in terms of sustainable materials. We started uh, slowly, step by step, but the vision we have is that the diver should uh, progressively uh, be transformed into a full sustainable uh, sports watch uh, collection and show the example because the diver is about, it's related to the ocean. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it's from where we come. So we should show the example through this collection first. Great. And on the other end of the spectrum, what's coming from the freak? So the freak, <clears throat> I mean, I mean, as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, I mean, the freak is our ambassador. We are a, sm a small brand, so we do not have uh, Brad Pitt. Uh, so we are uh, building on uh, the freak because we believe that the face of the freak is so unique, and uh, of course, all what is behind is so unique that it's it's the good way to explain how we are specific in a, let's say, a landscape where everything is globalized, standardized, very mainstream. So the freak is really the main focus. And as we discussed, I mean, in fact, we want to preserve the, the, the integrity of the original concept, mm -hmm. meaning a principle where all the components are moving, where the caliber is rotating on itself. Can you imagine the entire caliber is rotating on itself in order to indicate the time and in the meantime we are going to continue to uh, use the freak as a kind of laboratory on the wrist mm -hmm. displaying innovations uh, related to the 
movement, the regulating organs, and also with new materials. Because we believe that the future is, is in the integration between calibers and cases and materials. Do you have a favorite in the collection? And what do you wear yourself most often? <laughs> Hard question, right? It's like choosing between your children. Go on. Which is your favorite child? Well, my, my favorite one is... Um, is uh, no, I, I own three, uh, okay. three uh, even fourth products now coming from Ulysnard. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have a mine torpilleur. Mm -hmm. I would say it's the best entry inside uh, Ulysnard. You know, it's the quintessence of Ulysnard. I mean, uh, because it's the, this transcription of a, of a marine deck chronometer I was speaking about. I own a diver, Le Lock, which is a vintage, let's say, reproduction of the very first diver produced by Ulysse Nardin that you can see uh, at the museum that has been created in 1964. And I love the piece. I also own uh, a Freak X because, I mean, of course, I like the versatility of this product. It's a high-end timepiece, but it's very comfortable. It's cool. I can go for weekends. I can, I can do sports even with my, my uh, Freak X. And this, I like it. You know, that is actually an interesting thing for our listeners to hear because most people will see a watch like the Freak and think it's very specific and maybe yes. not even be able to imagine a single situation in which they could wear it, let alone yes. having it on all weekend or for days and, and whatnot. But really being able to enjoy that high horology must yes. be a real thrill. No, it's what I like with the Freak X particularly because that one is less. I mean, in the upper levels that you can find inside the, the Freak collection, I mean, it starts to be uh, more... Uh, heavy, uh, with, uh, loaded with a uh, lot of technological content. A freak X, you know, when you drive, you look at the flying carousel behavior. I mean, when you are stuck in a traffic jam, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like looking uh, after TV. It's the same. And this is what I like. And I have a last one I want to mention, oh, yeah, course, yeah, is right. that I own a PKU, Perpetual Ludwig, oh, really? Perpetual Calendar, that has been offered to me uh, 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 after uh, several years spent into the, the, the company for uh, Jubilee, I have chosen that one particularly because I am a fan of Ludwig. I'm visiting Ludwig very regularly to know more about the brand and to understand w what is behind the brain of the master. You know, He has his workshop at 20 minutes from my, uh, my office. For me, he's, he's an inspiring man and I, am a, I have a lot of respect for him. I mean, he's a man totally driven by passion. He's working constantly. Still. And uh, yes, still. And he's creating. He continues to create. Amazing. I guess you never lose that kind of passion. Yes. I heard some very gruntled sounds come from you when that perpetual calendar was mentioned. You seem quite impressed. I love perpetual calendars. And, and then what Erskine did with the, the Ludwig is maybe the most minimalistic yes. perpetual ever. Clean. And I love that it's asymmetrical. The subdials, the, yes. the, the, the counters or to read off the calendar are all over the place. Yes. That's amazing. Now, I also made gruntled sounds when Javisov spoke about the Vintage Diary, which was one of my favorite launches eight, nine years ago. Yes. Together with the Paul Nardin retro. Yes. Remember that? So. I walk down, and a quick anecdote, I walk down from our hotel, Rob and I had a breakfast meeting with Romaric Andre from uh, Second Second. I bump into my old friend, Patrick Hoffman, yes. who had something to do with Uri Stardin quite some time. Yes. <laughs> we talked, hugged, he says, I don't come, come see the breakfast with us. And I see the beautiful Paul Nardin retro. Yes. So I said to the man, I didn't know him, 
Compliments, beautiful watch. I love to see it. Who was it? Stefan von Gunten. Yes. The man of the thousand hours power reserve. I'm like, what? You wear that? He's like, yes, one of my favorite watches. So there it is. The founder of Rive is wearing Ulysse Nardin. And he had something to do with the brand, but it's an old love for him. Now, on topic of your other watches and the modernity of dials, I love the marquetry dials with silicium. You literally took your heritage, your, it's already 20 years plus, into dials. But we have to talk about another amazing DNA aspect of Ulysse Nardin, which is enamel and grand feu. Yes. Please t- walk us through that. Why is it special? You're one of the few to do it. And what are you going to do with that in the modernity of Ulysse Nardin? Uh, this is also a topic I like. Thank you for the question. Because uh, also it relates to passion, in fact. So the enamel uh, know was disappearing. Uh, Mr. Holschneider had this vision that uh, you should preserve uh, the métier d'art. You should preserve the Nohos. Because after the quartz crisis period, Willis Nardin has been hit by this crisis even more than some other brands. Rolf spent his life to regain the, the momentum with shining timepieces, automaton, astronomic complications, and enamel was part of this, let's say, Nohos that were you know, in the process to be lost in the toolbox of traditional watchmaking. He bought uh, Donze et Cadran, uh, where few enamelers were still working. And, you know, you need more than five years to be teached as an enameler. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's really a very, very specific type of job. And what I like also, I mean, I, I was sharing my passion for the brand because you have so many things inside the, the manufacturer. You know, I like when I visit Sigatech, that is... Uh, producing our silicone component because it's like visiting, you know, a high-tech company. <laughs> but uh, I also like visiting Don Zecadran because there you feel really the magic of craftsmanship and very, very traditional knows like two centuries ago. And when you look at the people, uh, how they work, uh, how the work is, uh, let's say, uh, let's say from time to time even painful because there is a uh, I mean, everything is done by hand. There is a lot of waste uh, in the production. Uh, you are using uh, ancestral it's techniques. Sustainable waste. It's yeah. sustainable. Yeah. Cows <laughs> go wrong. So very quick into Mezzo. Yes. We speak about enameling a lot on the show yes. because we're f- he's good friends with the founder of Anordain. Okay. They put enameling back on the map and also making it accessible. Yes. Because it's a very difficult skill yes. that almost died. But they invested a lot in it and it is not dead keep the art going Correct. and it's basically painting with glass yes if i have to if i need to summarize so sorry to interrupt <laughs> no but i'm glad you mentioned also uh, patek because uh, patek uh, i mean they are they are doing things in the world of uh, silicone and they are also doing things to preserve metier d'art and nouveaux we are a smaller brand but we have the same type of vision and uh, what is important for us is uh, let's say uh, to propose a variety, a palette of uh, technical creativity. And here we come to the, the future of enamel. My belief is that the future of enamel is, is to be more and more combined with highly modern uh, autologerie. For example, we have recently launched 
a limited edition Freak X with an enamel dial. And I think it's just incredible. You know, the beauty of the enamel is that the dial will stay during generations. It will never be altered by the light, by the UVs, etc. And when you combine a very traditional uh, dial in enamel with some irregularities even, mm -hmm. because it's, I mean, each enamel dial is unique. And, you know, it's like your children. You love it. But, I mean, nobody's perfect, you know. You take him as he is. It's the same for your enamel dial. And you put that into a FreakX, very modern, with this, let's say, mechanical behavior on top of it. It creates a timepiece that is uh, unique. You, you have, uh, in fact, uh, two centuries of know inside the same watch. Talking about generations, let's segue towards the future of the industry. Firstly, what do you think is going to happen in watchmaking big things in the next 10 years? Wow. <laughs> You can get creative if you want. This is a big question. <laughs> you know, I started my career in the automotive industry. Mm -hmm. Then I worked for the sports equipment industry. Mm -hmm. And now I'm working for the watchmaking industry. Mm -hmm. And I believe that all these industries are related to uh, something that is linked to uh, passion. It's really what these products are carrying in common. I am sure that this passion is communicative. I cannot imagine that uh, in uh, two, three, four decades, uh, the watchmaking uh, industry would, let's say, disappear. Mm -hmm. I really believe that even the younger generations, they will endorse this type of industry because I think that people carry with a purpose. Mm -hmm. So you can find two ways in the concept of purpose. There is a one way, which is a utility, functionality. And I think it's not the case of uh, the watchmaking industry. There is a second, let's say, field, which is related to uh, tradition, values, uh, preservation, transmission, uh, beauty also. And I think that these components will speak to the future generations, definitely. Taking it from this beautiful vision, last question, because... We said a short podcast, but at least the now and then deserves a way longer one. And you too, because you are young, but you carry a wealth of experience and knowledge. What is your advice to the youngsters entering the watch industry, both on the professional side, also on the collecting side, please? Well, again, a difficult question. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I would say that uh, on the professional side, well, I think that uh, what I will what I will recommend um, is uh, for me a professional career. It's a journey. You have to take it as I mean, uh, like a kind of adventure. It's a uh, journey on the long run. So you need to be patient. You need to accept the ups and downs. Because enjoy the ups yeah. <laughs> as yeah. as much as you can. That's not bad. Because a lot of people, myself included, are terrible at that part of it. You know, <laughs> I just like done yes. next. You know, <laughs> and uh, I try to find pleasure in uh, in uh, in what you do. It's I mean, it, this is this is uh, try to find pleasure and meaning in in what you do. Okay, for for a collector, for somebody who would be interested to buy or to uh, yes to study how to buy, I would say that it is a little bit the same reasoning. In fact, I mean, I think it's a journey. We are an industry which is very, which has a specificity compared to the others. It's the, the fact that you have so many brands, so many proposals, so many uh, products 
try to find your own, to define your own, uh, your own journey. I mean, you can start with a safe product. Mm -hmm. You can buy a safe brand with some, uh, let's say, uh, value retention uh, behind a product that will be practical and versatile, for example. And then let's go for something that represents more who you, who you are. Ulysse Nardin is producing, and I'm going to advocate a little bit for Ulysse Nardin, <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, we produce in uh, one year what some brands are producing in uh, even uh, less than uh, three days. I mean, and these brands are very, very respectful, but uh, I mean, they, they deserve this respect because they have this ability to uh, address a very large public and they offer very serious products. There is nothing to, to uh, remove from that. I mean, uh, but uh, in the meantime, I mean... Uh, Try to be yourself and buy something that, you know, you, you are wearing your watch every day. It's part of your body. It's part of you. So, I mean, uh, this, this would be my recommendation. I'm not a collector, but I own several watches. I always made choices that are close to me for myself. Perfect. Jean-Christophe, thank you so much for the time. Alon, you enjoy yourself? I had great fun. I'm shaking his hand. <laughs> Real life, because wow. this is actually the first time that you and I ever recorded together live with a guest. Oh, yeah. Think about it. It's a historic moment. So I enjoy recording podcasts always, but this added an amazing 3D dimension because, guys, it's a gentleman here. Besides that, he's handsome. He's been smiling all episodes. So thank you for the positivity and the education. And if you did enjoy this episode, please let us know. If you'd like to get in touch with us directly, you can do so via Instagram. I'm there at Rob Nuds, R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S. You can find Alon at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. Or contact us on our email addresses, either Rob or Alon at therealtime.show. If you'd like to join the Real Time Show network, our WhatsApp community, just let us know. And we'll add you in there and you can give us some direct feedback. And please like, follow and subscribe and share the podcast We'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking. It's weird doing that in real life. It is like weird looking at you, like dead <laughs> guys. <laughs> <laughs>